Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Charlie, quick question. Have you ever tried to drink water out of like a water bottle that's got a wide opening like this one? Yes, then, yes, I have, Grant. Awesome. And have you ever spilt some like where you just got too aggressive with your drinking and you've spilt some and you're like, oh man, am I getting more in my mouth or am I getting more on my shirt? I'll be honest, one time I like completely missed my mouth altogether. Like that I just is like the- splashed it on my face. See, that is the exact same as if you're like, I really like the podcast and I want to consume it all, but you're not on the email marketing list. It's like you're getting all of the water outside of your mouth and you're like, am I really quenching my thirst right now? So if you're sitting there thinking that you're missing some episodes, I got a solution for you. Don't use a wide open mouth water bottle. Use one with a little sippy cup on the top. One other one. That's why I wear black t-shirts. Doesn't show. See? Exactly the same. So head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email, and don't miss any of those, what is it? Enjoyable drops of water and feel as though your thirst has been quenched. Now, on that note, Charlie, let's cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant, today we have a new type of episode we're doing. So previously, we released an episode uh, where we were speaking about how we would scale certain types of businesses or pivot certain types of businesses. And we got a request from a listener to say, well, what I would love is to send you what business and industry I'm in. And I'd love to hear you guys talk about how you would scale it if you got your hands on my business. So today, we're going to be talking about how we would scale a web design agency. I'm going to say if we did it again, because both of you, both you and I have done this one. This is one we know extensively well. But if this is something the fans say they enjoy, we're going to do more of them. We're going to cover more of these businesses. And for those of you that don't have a web design agency, don't think this stuff doesn't apply. A lot of the principal strategies and ideas we're about to share, I think are pretty universally adoptable or tweakable to fit most businesses. And it could be one idea within one of these that makes a difference in your own business. Completely. When you thought about this, was your instant response exactly how I did it previously? I would not change a single thing. No, I think my instant response was PTSD. It was like, <laughs> don't bring it up again. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some trauma. And I got to tell you, right, it's it's fascinating. I look back on it and it was very easy for me to blame the business. And it's I look back on it and it's, our web design agencies are terrible. They what are. a terrible business. Yes. The reality, I was a crappy business owner. The issue was me, not the business model. Right? There's people out there that have made a killing in this business model. It's that I didn't have the school skills knowledge, network, all the stuff that would have made of all the difference that I now know about today. I basically just built a list of all the problems and challenges that I faced and just suggested the opposite. <laughs> so wait, you just wrote out, all right, so this is step-by-step what I did and then just made a list next to it, opposite. Dude, I should you not. Like literally, <laughs> it was like, it, that was where it started. That's where my list started. I dig it. I can work with that. 
All right, so I've got a set of rules around this or some specifics because I think that makes it more fun, right? It does make it more fun. So uh, most notably, the web design agency we're talking about scaling, we're going to pretend they're doing about 10K a month in monthly recurring revenue right now. So the idea being is definitely not a big business. They They can build the product. It's not a complete startup. They're probably already making websites for clients in some way, shape or form. And we want to talk about the idea of taking them from that 10 grand a month mark to like 50K plus a month of monthly recurring revenue, even 100K plus monthly recurring revenue in some of these ideas. Now, why have I uh, picked or we've picked that number specifically? Because if you did this and got to this point, my take on things is it would put you into a position where you would be pulling out some serious profits to invest in assets outside of business as well as inside of business. So it's getting a business to a position where they can do a lot of the things we talk about on this show. Awesome. Now, my plan was to get it to a quarter of a million dollars a month, but that's fine. It's fine. Oh, I'm happy to bump it down to 50. Don't worry. Man. Well, I'll uh, come to, no, no, I'll come down. Yes, to I'm going to call it 50K plus. I, I reference like in what I've suggested here, I think you could take this thing to 250 a month. <laughs> is this shot's fine? A shot's hey, fine. Well, we and I'm going to put it out there. This is a competition and I will be <laughs> requesting people vote for who has the better ideas. <laughs> I was going to ask him, like, is this a competition or is this like idea stacking where we're just trying to put ideas on top of each other? Because I felt like the one that we did on dropshipping was like a competition as opposed to like an idea stacking. Uh, see, what I'm hearing here is you don't like the last time you lost to me on dropshipping <laughs> and now you're trying to hedge. You do you. Hey, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm down with hedging my bets. No, that's right. fine. All right, kick us in. off, Grant. Kick us off. This one's on you to start. All right, I'm going to kick off with the problems that I faced in my previous said web design agency. Uh, so there were four that just kept coming up. First one, one-off projects always need to resell things in order for you to generate revenue. Oh, hold on, hold on. Just curiously, because I, I had this challenge. I'm wondering then, did you have a feast and famine cycle? Like, totally. were you like? You'd get a few websites, then all the effort went into building the sites. You'd drop the ball on, you know, your pipeline or new client acquisition. Projects would be finishing off and you'd be like, oh, my God. Drive yes. hatch. Got to go to that guy's team. We don't have anybody. And then just like repeated. And that was exactly the problem. <laughs> it was it was so lumpy because you'd go market and sell to your point. Then you'd go deliver. And then you'd grow the team to deliver without you. Then you'd go market, sell, and then you'd something would break and you go deliver again. And it was just this horrific ups and downs, ups and downs to the point that I was just starting to look at my revenue at the end of the year. It would just be like a year, yearly revenue. There was no like a view of a monthly revenue at that point. It was just like, well, in the year, <laughs> this is what we did and that's what success was. Second one was uh, it cannot be easy for other people to do the same thing that you're doing. And so if you're- So underappreciated, especially today, right? Can I ask okay. a question on that? Don't. So we've seen in the involvement of things, and we've spoken about this on other episodes, is there's things out there like Wix, ClickFunnels, it's Squarespace, that I would argue are actually all getting pretty damn good at what they do. Is it this is a no-go thing for you now? Would you just avoid web design agency altogether? Oh, do you want me to tell you the recommendation now or at the end? You do you. You do you. <laughs> uh, to an extent. I don't think I would run one, but I'm more than happy to help someone else run theirs because I, I I know some ways to make them win. But I just I, there are better opportunities for me and my skill set elsewhere. I think that barrier to entry thing is underappreciated though, because there's always going to be an influx of people that can get into this space. So defense and moat hugely important. I agree with that one. 
Totally. So and so that was one of the challenges I had and it kind of led into not really having some kind of uniqueness to what I was doing. But I'll get to that in a minute. Um, third one that I had was I just tried to do everything. Charlie, when you got lumpy revenue coming in from one-off projects, you want as much of that bloody revenue as you can possibly get. So guess what we were doing? Content, videos, web designs, graphic design, email management. Like we just did everything. <laughs> it was just no core competency. Wait, wait, wait. Are you talking you personally did everything? Were you like putting the sites together and doing the content and updating plugins and all that stuff? Or are you talking about you started offering everything where you were doing videos and additional content services? So there's this great thing out of the States called I plead the fifth. (laughs) Yeah, we're not in the US here. It doesn't work here. Uh, I, I might have been writing some copy in my very, very first website for a guy, an orthodontist. I can only imagine how good this copy was. Horace, I was in in his practice with one of his practice managers with their brochures out trying to, anyway, just don't do it. This is symptomatic of many other businesses though, right? I actually think this is from your first point. When businesses have potentially like large lumpy revenue, it makes it very difficult to build a team because in the time when you need the team, it's okay but if your margins aren't fantastic to hold the team while you're bringing new work on, you just end up hiring and firing. Completely. So then what do you do? Or using a lot of contractors, but the problem with that model is is that if the contractors aren't available for the next job, you're continually searching for contractors, it's very difficult to get sturdy contractors when you're not providing steady work. Totally. Um, and with, with the contractor side as well. So if you can't hire a full-time employer and you're using a contractor, you're always the second priority. So if, if they've got two fires that are burning, their full-time job or their primary source of income will be the one that gets the attention because that is keeping the bills paid at their house and you are the one that get left with holding the bag or just going, come on, like fix my stuff first. And, and I would just bo- say it's only a matter of uh, when, not if. Totally, totally. And then my number four was, and I had so many problems, this was like a therapy session for me, but I just extracting out the top four was like, Offering it too cheap, and uh, this is a big symptom around. Uh, depending on who you target, depending on the industries that you go for, like there are obviously industries that have high profit margins, high revenue, etc., and there are obviously industries that do not, aka startup businesses. And so when I had mine, I was focusing in on startups, people who had saved some money from the job that they had, Charlie, and then they had put away $5,000 or $10,000 and they needed a website and they needed to start doing some marketing stuff. And I learned very quickly that they want things cheap and they want the world for it being cheap and they're just not very good customers. And so... So this is this whole selling ice to Eskimos versus selling water to people coming out of the desert type scenario. Exactly. And so for me, uh, the symptom is too cheap, but it has so many other reasons why it is such a bad approach or bad concept. So those were like my four problems. Did you have any key observations that you had from your previous four, what do we call it, the previous foray into web design? You, you actually nailed this one. I'm not sure. I would just say the pricing one most notably I think is where a lot of people in this space, like it's a space we both know well. I'm going to spread this past web design and talk about agency in general. Is like I'm convinced thin margins kill more agencies than probably anything else. Completely. Maybe niching. But it's like if you never have enough margin to be able to invest in the business where you can get the team or do the marketing or whatever it is, it's like symptomatic of it, just being on a path to being a zombie. 
You're just yep. stuck in it forever and eventually you'll hate it, quit, do something else, just like we did. <laughs> Definitely not a good poster, boys. But <laughs> no, well, coming back to the earlier point, with what I know now, I'm like, I, you know, there's this idea that the guy who started Circus Delay, right, makes more than a million dollars a year. Yep. All right, so this is a guy that literally was riding a unicycle, found a way to make more than a million dollars a year. Like in every industry, there's someone making a million dollars a year. Totally. There's someone crushing it. So I am when I think about businesses today and I look at web design, I don't look at it and go, bad business. I go, bad business owner. Yep. Right. If I went and made this my thing today, could I make a successful web design agency following the principles we use in the businesses we run and operate today? Absolutely. And I don't think web, if anything, I th- actually think this niche is growing on some of the research I've done. I think people are becoming more dependent on web. And I think there's bigger opportunities in web, in specifically in like websites and website design than some other niches right now. Like I'll give you the one up, I'll just straight out, ready for the knee-jerk reaction? Right. Web design agency or SEO agency? Oh, web design. See, case in point. Because yep. it, it's so much easier for me to articulate the, the wins. And I can control my successes. And it's not built on someone else's race course, like Google. See, different different values. So I actually think this is a, if you're in web design right now and you're thinking of getting out of it, I'd really reconsider that. And if you're in uh, some other like slightly related things like SEO, this might be a fantastic, uh, I'll call it service, not niche, but like product and service to deliver, I think is like demands bigger than ever. People, you need an online presence. It's no longer optional. There's very few businesses out there that can rely on not being online. Totally. I think it's almost a mandatory now. I just don't. Outside of maybe the hot bread shop. <laughs> right, well, no, but even then, I will say my bakery does have a fantastic website. <laughs> yeah, that's just, fair. Just to, get right. to my bakery, though, what I would love to know is like what you bake today. Just so I can check if I'm going to come past or not, because you don't bake the same shit every day. Like, if you've got the bread I want, I'll go past. I feel like I've poked a sound in this little point. Yeah, because Jack likes cinnamon donuts, and if they haven't done the cinnamon donuts and we go past, he's not happy. I should have taken him to get hot chips. All right, Grant, I'm going to let you kick this one off. You ready for this? No, but throw me under the bus. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. I'm going to take a stranglehold on this, Charlie. I'm very fortunate. I know dentistry very well. And so I'm going to set, take the business, throw it straight into dentistry. Okay. So you've got a hold of this web design agency and you're going to be focused on dentists. Yeah. Why dentists? I know how much dentists generate in revenue and I know their profit margins. Uh, and so because I've got another business in this space and I know that you can approach the decision maker via other partner avenues. So I can actually get in front of the people who have the credit card to go and make the decision and I can represent myself or the brand as a known expert in this area. And I think there's just so much to to run with. All right. So you've got your hands on this web design agency. First thing you're doing is niching it into dentists for those reasons there. Has to, have to niche it in. And there are some other industries, but we'll go with dentists today. <clears throat> so decent revenue, great profit margin, a very stable business. When Do you really think technology is going to make dentistry irrelevant? No, like people are always going to want this thing. So it's it's kind of future-proofed in the sense that. Do you know what? I never thought of the evergreenness of dentists. You're absolutely right. Like if you like if you snap a tooth and it's a recession, you're still going to go to a dentist. Mm-hmm. 
But even more than that is like I've seen a lot of interesting things around like weddings where people will do whitening, orthodontics, right, where it's like, you know, people want straight teeth. Like there's a whole identity attachment to it. It's not treated as the same as other things. You should see dentists coming into Christmas and parents wanting their kids to have good teeth for photos for the family and stuff. It's all on. It's nuts, man. It's amazing. I think it's – and I'll put it out there. I think it's a great service. Like who doesn't want to have a good smile? That's what I mean. Photos, memories. There's like this is one of those interesting ones that's not necessarily logical. I love markets that aren't logical because people will spend obscene amounts. So I can work with this niche. I do. Awesome. We're then going to go and give them a subscription package. So the interesting thing with dentists is they use bespoke software to book customers in, right? And like you've got this thing called Dent for Windows, et cetera, that a lot of web design agencies won't actually know how to use or integrate with, which means it's like this very specific tool that like 90% of dentists use that I can specialize in integrating with and actually making that a seamless experience for a customer and return customer. But... I can also make it on the other side of them helping to sell and to book new customers in, new patients in, et cetera. So I can now become a part that is a very important component of their overarching operating model as well as sales and marketing model. Ooh, I, I, I don't know about you, but do you feel that water around us? That what's it, I, A little bit of a little little bit bit moat. A little bit of a moat. Completely. And so then I sit there and I'm like, I'm going to be able to run the reports. Like, how many dentists, and I know the answer to this, how many dentists do you think actually know how many people went and viewed a booking form and then disappeared and didn't actually book something? How many dentists do you think knew that it was a new versus an existing? And now they're coming through my website. I'm getting the analytics and I'm providing those reports back to them and it's all automated. It's easy, but I'm a one-in-one where they just go. That is so hard to compete with as well. Like if you were a dentist and you were shopping between a few operators and one knew how to work with your booking system, that alone I would probably buy on. But if you can offer additional reporting or value in another way, which I'm going to assume you could probably auto-generate a lot of this type of reporting these days also. Totally. Well, now there's like continual value and it leans into your subscription model. Have you thought about like pricing on this if you were going to do it? I'm going to go to marketing first. All right, go to marketing. So I know exactly. So dentists are amazing. So most dental practices are owned and operated to some extent by dentists themselves, which means that they need to go and do what they call CPD points, which is a level of education that they have to get every single year. Can we just pause right there? So instead of being owned like by a conglomerate or something like that, they're just like individual medical practices. Like totally. so the dentist got- probably works within the building they own it as well, that type of thing. Exactly. So you've got your corporates that will have like your 30, 40, 50, maybe 150 practices and things like that. And they would be a, a win, but they would have internal marketing teams. They'll have all those things. So like I wouldn't target them. If I got one, great, it'd be a whale, but I'm going for the more mum and dads might have one, two, three practices kind of thing. Do you know what's interesting? I think that gets overlooked in niche quite a bit. And uh, we know someone who works in fitness Right, and one of the reasons they're in fitness is because, like, a lot of the gyms, uh, like, owner operated. Mm-hmm. So for them to get access to decision makers, really important. Where if you were going to target, like, what supply chain logistics, you know, it's a very, very specific few big companies that play in that space. Totally so different game, different access. All right, I dig it for the marketing thing, particularly important. And so the the interesting layer to this is they all have so there's conferences, and if I'm just going to hit Australia, which for this example, I just always thought about hitting Australia. I'm going to go to all of those conferences. I'm going to go to every seminar. And, be, and you go, why are you going there? Because I can go and speak on stages. 
And here's where the beauty comes in, Charlie. <laughs> I run a free audit. So I will audit all of their web technology and I will bring back to them an, an analysis on how they're going in comparison to a benchmark of the industry. And for dentists, it is highly competitive in the sense of, am I doing the same as everybody else? Like they, <laughs> they almost just copy each other. And so this audit is essentially against a benchmark report where there's like, am I doing good? Or am I not doing good? And every time I audit, just feeds back into this knowledge until I can get up on stage and say, hey, here's what I've learned through 50 audits. Here's what I learned through 100 audits. Here's what I've learned through 1,000 audits to separate me from absolutely everybody who is just thinking about web design as a project that I push out and then host on a bloody hosting platform. And so now I'm up on this stage. How many dentists do you reckon will walk into a room with a guy saying, here's what I've learned from 100 audits of dental-specific websites and the trends that you need to be following in your website in order to get more bookings, in order to get return customers, et cetera. Do you know what I really appreciate in your approach here? I really appreciate this is like, number one is like you've picked a niche where you have really specific knowledge. And I think if you're an agency at all, like that is the game. Because the point that leans into that is you've been able to build so much value that isn't the website. Like, dude, I'll be honest with what you're talking about. Even if the website was like average or shitty, I might still buy. <laughs> but that's but that's the thing, and that's the beauty. Because then, well, as I do these presentations around, like this is the top ten lessons from a hundred audits. More people will want audits, which means then it's from two hundred audits, from five hundred audits, and it continues to grow. But then we build the delivery model that is based off what we've seen works, what we have seen doesn't work, and the review that we have across all of our customer base. And then it's almost like this is what a like a, a normal web design company will provide to you. This is what we provide to you and the differences. And the differences will obviously be what's relevant to a dentist, which is like bookings, return bookings, all those kind of things. And I'm like, that's where we're at. And so that is the way that I would continue to market and sell is partnering up with um, like the Dental for Windows, which is like a booking system that doesn't have a website builder in it. Um, there's a whole heap of other ones that you can go and build partnerships with so they can refer and say, hey, like these guys work really well with us. Talking at their events and talking to like they have one in Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, everything just going and just talking. At so this events. is all in person here. So your whole marketing approach for this niche is just partnerships, sponsorships and relationships basically. That's all it is. And then because I'm the one doing the audits or at least if I, as I scale, other people do the audits and I'll get to pricing in a, in a second – um, the delivery team that sits behind it is just delivering the outcomes of my benchmark and my audit. So as I'm doing my sales and marketing process, I'm just updating the project plan and then everyone just executes against the same plan. So it just continually iterates and improves. And here's where the beautiful part comes in from the products. And there's two types of products. It's like a done with you and a done for you. And so the primary thing that I want to push in is a done for you. Why have it done with you at all? I'll share it to you. This is me being greedy. This is uh, the done with you will easily get you to 50K plus monthly recurring revenue, but the done, uh, sorry, the done for you will get you there. The done with you will just take you a little bit further. You seem pretty convinced on this niche that they would want it done with you. Is there a reason? Yes, I'll tell you why in one second. (laughs) So the done for you is an upfront fee, maybe five grand, seems reasonable. And then the ongoing 
is there's going to be two packages, a grand or two grand. Obviously, two grand is going to be like a call with myself or someone else to justify the price for the person to actually have the call. Walking through the results of the website, the results of the other marketing that they're doing and the impact into their bookings and repeat bookings, et cetera. So what's included loosely in that package, just for yourself, Charlie, is every week we double check that automations are working. Are leads coming into your CRM? Are bookings coming in? Is naturally everything working? Uh, You also get an analysis against any changes in the industry and we proactively go and implement that across into your website without you asking for anything. Like we'll say, hey, like we've learned that these FAQs are actually really important in order for people to overcome um, hurdles. And so we go and update or build an FAQ page. And like, so it's constantly this site of a forever moving target that they can never achieve because the more that I learn about the industry, the more it goes beyond. So if they cancel my service, they're just going to get further and further behind the pack, which means now it's not just a, hey, child, I'm going to host your dental website. It's, hey, child, I'm going to host it. I'm going to support it. I will do any updates that you need done. And I'm going to continue to improve it based on new technology that comes out, based on new learnings and understanding of industry improvements. And I'm going to report you back, back to you on it, update your automations as necessary every single month. And now the done with you is if I've got people jumping on a call at two grand, two and a half grand a month, once a month with clients to talk them through what we're doing and how we're improving it and things like that, there are these big corporates that have internal teams that build their websites, build all those things. I feel as though they they will pay one to two to three thousand dollars a month for my guy to sit there and tell them what's going on in the industry every single month, or to so, assess. So that's like a back end offer, completely. Well, at, or is this to the people Robin Hood uh, business model where it's like they actually sell their data to the institutions? That is the biggest the business model. They're very similar, yes. <laughs> and that is my moat: is we have insights and analysis that no one else has, which means we are a one in one. It's like, who else is what mum and pop web design company that's going to a dental expo sitting there talking about the hundred audits they've done and how they've changed and how the industry's changed the last year? What worked last year that doesn't work this year? Consistently moving that goalpost. I love it. I love it. I actually really love that a lot. It's, we've got a lot of similarities in our plans here. Can we do, is there anything else you want to add in on this plan? I've got heaps, but I think that gives a good enough picture painting and I think as you walk through yours because I can see you feeling scared that I've just pummeled you. I'm actually um, a little bit terrified you stole most of my points. <laughs> no, <laughs> you go I got some things here. I got some things. Yeah, so um, I'm going to pull, pull up stumps on that. I'll, I'll just can, we do, can we do a recap? I want to do a recap. I'm going to recap and you please correct me. So number one, we're going a mile deep on a niche. I, I, I really looked at that and I'd say that's a, probably a big hint across both of our answers as a hint to what's coming next. Next thing, recurring revenue. Moat, I really dig the moat. I think the moat is very, very interesting. Um, I think it's very important as well. And then you've got your whole acquisition path is not on, online. It's actually relationship-based. Completely. So I think that's very interesting in that and in the way you've thought about it. And then you've got a back-end offer of like how you're going to even, I suppose, leverage the assets you're going to create into something else. Very, very clever. I like it. I wonder how many people out there running a website design agency today are thinking about it in that way. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, I'm very few, I suspect. Are you ready for this? Dad, are we going to ask? What do you got? All right, so I'm going to start with niche as well. I'm going to follow your format a little bit here. And you'll see me looking off because I did take notes on this because I didn't want to forget uh, some of the points here. So my niche, I'm actually going to go for 
real estate agents. Love it. Now, some of my reasons were the same as yours. So again, I look to them and I go, there are ways to access the decision makers in this space. So I really like that. They're also a high margin business. Like I don't think anyone looks out there and goes, oh, real estate agents, they don't make any money. <laughs> yep. It's also a niche I know well, very well from all the time we spend in real estate, right? So again, unique advantage. I hope people are picking up on that. It's like play in the spaces you know and you will likely do very well, um, I think is a really interesting one. But the one I'm going to throw in here is they're not as tech savvy as some niches. Mm. So um, when I had a website design agency uh, or even some of the other ventures I've been involved in, one of the challenges we would run up against is the clients that were in tech would touch stuff and tinker. Hey, Taylor, I've just tried to create a new page and like I try to put it in the main menu and like now the whole thing's broken. <laughs> yeah, and I also think that people that are in online don't value online. So this yeah, is the right. ice Eskimos thing. So if you are a website developer and let's say you're selling websites to ad agencies, right, and they're used to updating pages and things like that, and it's like they don't value it in the same way as a, a real estate agent would in which it's like, well, I don't even want the login. I just want to call you or email you and you do the thing. I love it. You know what? You know one of the industries that I just like boycotted completely because of that reason was e-com. I said, screw being a web design company for e-com because in their business they genuinely have to understand how to use the website. Yeah, well, they build the skills in such a way where they wouldn't value them. Completely. So I would avoid all of those niches right out of the gate. Unless, yeah. I mean, there are some reasons why you may go into them if you have like some unique value, where it's I like that's that was the counter. To. But the point I would make there is that if you enter into a niche where your client is essentially going to be competing against you, don't do it. Why would they pay you to update images or do anything if, if they, could do, they could do it? Yeah, it's, it, And then you're going to say time. But even then, my finding is very different. Very, very different. So yep. really key point on that one there. A point I'll make on this one that's very different to yours is I really thought about who has continuous need. So with uh, many people who build websites, essentially they're brochure websites, they build them once and then there's not really much to do, right? So, and even with dentists, what do they really change? Yeah, not so a they, heap. Yeah, a couple of landing pages, a couple of SEO, hence why I've had to put the subscription model more on reporting insights and analytics as opposed to doing web specifically. Honestly, that's what I loved about your answer so much is you found a way to build value recurringly that wasn't content-based or something on the website. I didn't pick up on that. So I would say that's one of the things that makes our answers very differently. Also a reason why you might vote for Charlie. His answer's a little bit better, just saying. It's <laughs> a little bit more web. <laughs> well, this is one of those things where I was thinking about this and there's a few other industries I'll mention as well. Real estate agents have a lot of information moving in their businesses. So this is when listings are, new listings coming up. They've got to interact with things like uh, realestate.com.au or Zillow if you're in the States, yep. right? So there's a lot of moving parts and continuous need for their web to be good, right? To be set up well. Emails are got to go out, brochures, graphics. Right? There's a heap of stuff that actually goes in, in on a real estate business that people may not appreciate. So I look at that and go, that's my honeypot. That's absolutely where if I can land a client in this space and offer really good support services around their continuous need, 
that's how I'm building my recurring revenue business model here. I, I can't look at you without thinking about Winnie the Pooh on the honeypot. <laughs> on the honeypot. <laughs> on the honeypot. <clears throat> I like the I like the idea of so if I understand correctly, you're talking about complementary services that you can provide on top of yours, or is it that you are <clears throat> the middle that they have to refer to? Well, this is where I guess in your case, you've kind of mentioned the idea of the booking system, right? You're working with it there. In this case here, I'd be working with like the real estate listing service, right? Because, yep. you know, we know about XML feeds and all these other totally. things. I won't make it over complicated or techie, but I just want to say that it's the idea of there's a whole bunch of information and content that moves around a real estate business, listings, when opens are, emailing people, the CRM, a heap of stuff, that all needs to work and function. That is where someone who's strong in web and can support one of these companies can do very, very well. You know what's so funny about both of our points? It's like <laughs> we both dive into the concept of being completely accountable where if something that we build does not work, their business kind of stops operating. Yeah, right. we need. We're, we're at, uh, quite a few web design companies that I know of strategically try to get out of the way of being mission critical to someone else's business to the point of I like I oh know that the the form will just email it to you. But yeah, wh- why? What do, you, what do you mean? Like, and so it's really interesting. Just the observation of both of us just going like, how do we get into being a necessary service that they have to pay for as opposed to an optional? Let's go further than that. I've decided in this market, I'm going premium. Yeah. So real estate agents, particularly, and if anyone knows a few real estate agents, will appreciate this who's got the nicer car, who's got the nicer house, who's got the nicer suit, who's, where is your uh, office on the street, how big's your floor plan. Like they are very, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it, ego-driven. It's a very status game. Yep. Who's got the nicest website and who's got the best tech matters to them. It's important. They don't want low-quality stuff. They don't want to be perceived as low-quality. They want to be perceived well. And I look at that and going, it's a market that's willing to pay for premium. Like they could be getting around in Priuses and it'd be very cost effective with all the driving to houses and fuel efficient. And Maserati is better. Because <laughs> that's the impression they want to leave with clients. Totally. So that's what I want to lean into here is like I'm going to go for value and that's what I'm going to represent and that's what I'm going to sell on in all honesty. In, in all honesty. Like because I think that has appeal to the market itself, themselves. I totally. It, yes. Uh, I love this because there's one real estate agent that I know in Melbourne that I saw when I was in university and every year he'd get his new Maserati. They painted the outside of the building. Like it was just a pure status game. And it's funny. He was always the one with the most amount of listings in that area. (laughs) It was crazy. It was just human nature. Humans are amazing, right? Humans are absolutely amazing. Uh, So second to that, I'm looking over here. The nature of this business is in my model, you only need 10 to 15 clients. Right, so on the the setting we're looking at here and the price point. So when I say premium, I'm talking like twenty grand plus websites. Yep. And then when we talk about the recurring to go with it, again, there's a lot of information to move. So depending on how many listings they have uh, and how many staff and how many listings would dictate the monthly recurring revenue. So that's where I, I build a package that's suitable. And I'm thinking like the again in your ballpark, probably like the three to five grand mark is where that's going to swing. Because I think that's what's appropriate in this market for the type of stuff we're going to do. Because I I really want to go premium with it. I want it to be like excellent stuff. 
I'm so curious as to your acquisition strategy. But there's, your your idea was very similar to mine because I was looking at the 5K upfront to justify a bit of project work. But then I just went, cool, if I'm at 10 grand monthly recurring revenue now, I need to get to 50 plus. I'm like, if I'm selling things at two grand a month, I can easily fill up the 40 grand hopper with 20 clients. I, I like that in sizing, just so you know. I think uh, mass amounts of clients I don't like in these types of things. I want to be expensive and ideally like even then I'd rather just have like 10 grand a month recurring packages, 10 clients, 100 grand a month type model I think suits better here. I think you could I think you could maintain based on my estimates a 50% margin and do it really well yep. on that type of business model here. So okay. that's what I'd be going for from there. Now I want to I want to throw in some things here that I think are particularly important though. Um, where our idea was very similar again is that um, I was really thinking about like what's going to make them sticky and what can I do here? And this is where we kind of matched up. I think the data and list management in this type of business is incredibly important because they've got people rocking up to open houses. They're putting in name, email, and phone number. They've got an immense database. What are they doing with them? Yep. They've got agents. They've got listings. Like the data and tracking on these things becomes so inherently important that I think the reporting value and management of those lists is very valuable to these guys. Totally. I, there's so much insight you can provide across the top of what a listing includes versus excludes and like which ones are doing better, which ones aren't doing as well. The hypothesis as to like why these ones are doing better. It could be a, a better cover image. It could be a better naming. This naming doesn't work. This one does like the data. How many people are going to these listings? Yeah. If we get these types of listings, how many people are showing up? What's the buyer activity? Like there's a ton of stuff that I think becomes really fascinating in that. Time of day of bookings. Like when are people booking in? Are they doing it? At what open houses are the most effective? Are yeah. auctions winning for us? Yeah. Right? Even to the point, and I thought about this, you and I know a lot about off-market deals through the nature of our work. If they're getting a listing, like how prepared are they going, well, we know someone that would buy this. We can do a quick turnaround here. Yep. So right? All this type of stuff that I uh, potentially, noting I don't real, know a real estate agent uh, that well where I know what they do intimately, but I can see value here. Like I really can see value here because uh, in the example I just gave, if even if you're just prepared with buyers lists, right, the idea of someone could come in with a listing and you could f- sell a property in 24 hours. <sighs> That's great for your business. You don't have to do opens. You don't have to run auctions. Like that's speed of transactions. That's more transactions you can do. Completely. You don't have to pay for the fee of listing it across like domain and real estate. The Yeah. Yeah. The professional photos you can go out with an iPhone if it's an off-market deal. Yeah. There's so many benefits as to why you just want to list to email and just say, hey, do you want this thing? Stuff for stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which is why my upsell offer is similar to your back-end offer, is actually remarketing and email management. Ooh. Don't you love the fact that we're, like, trying to teeter on the edge of, like, web and then, like, this how do we make something so easy for us to deliver that is complementary to the main core business? Well, I'm going to have access to all of these things. Completely. So it's it's like like for me to level that up is increased value. And that's how I would get to those 10 grand a month packages. And you say, well, Charlie, how do you you justify this? So end game of my model is like if I'm 10 clients at 10 grand a month and it's worth it, when you look at the cost, let's just say uh, if a real estate agent was successfully to pick up a listing and sell that property, they normally get like, I've seen some get like 3%, 4%, I don't know, a million dollar property, that's a lot of money. If what I'm doing is generating a sufficient amount of new listings and helping them 
move deals quicker, get more people in. It's like it's a no-brainer. Yeah. They're also not going to get this from anyone else. This is the mode. Totally. So, all right, and then here's my um, pitch. You ready for this? You ready for I'm the one. real one? I'm one. Exclusivity. So why I'm going <laughs> to charge a fortune is because I know, and I know this through experiences of I've had at networking and you see the way real estate agents behave at times. I know real estate agents that go to B&I just so no one else in their area will go to the B&I. They don't even use it. They (laughs) attend and participate just because they don't want another real estate agent having the B&I seat. (laughs) Human beings are so amazing. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Exactly. So that's my move. So is it it city exclusivity or like a radius around us? I would say a radius is appropriate is in this type of model because like, you know, for example, like Melbourne and Sydney are huge places. Totally. So you, you'd work out what fits and then that would be the size of it. I love the fact that you brought in real estate into this. I, I, I just like the fact you brought in property just in general, full stop. So I'm stick to curious. What, I stick to what I know. <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, how are you going to get these people? How are you going to market to them? Yeah. So um, I'm going to use a different method. I'm going to use something that worked really well, uh, in basically everything we've done. So I like to, when I'm operating an agency, use a, what I call trophy client model. So this is where I would go and find someone I can do this for to build a really good case study for and then basically brag about it continually and uh, gravitate towards their trust and the market has trust of them so that I am the trusted sale. Yep. So to give you an idea on that, how that would potentially work, try and use a, a very relevant one. Um, okay, let's say Warren Buffett suddenly said that I'm the greatest real estate investor of all time. I, I suspect you might have other real estate investors lean on you. Exactly, because I've just borrowed Uncle Warren's trust here. Yep. So I would very much be looking for a real estate agent that I could do this for maybe discounted, maybe for free to build a really, really strong case study and then market it. I would, I would think that is the avenue I'm going to go. Again, you've done like relationships and things like that. I could potentially lean into some of them here as well. But in agency world, I just think the trophy client strategy is really powerful. And like, I know a guy, and I won't name him just because I haven't asked, but like when he had his SEO agency, like he managed to land some really big SEO clients. And then all he did was just continually talk about what he was doing for them. Yeah. And then everyone else flocked to him. So that would be more of the strategy I would use. I think you can borrow trust from marketplace. Yeah. So find out who has the trust of real estate agents lean into those relationships. It might be partnering with someone who owns a mastermind in the space. I know there's a few out there. It might be, uh, again, build the epic case study that outlines this strategy here and then market into that so that, again, they can have what I've already done for someone else because I think that helps with the sell. One of, one of my bullet points that I hadn't mentioned was like recording the audits of the brands and then using that, those as ads, just like <laughs> jamming them in front of dentists because that, I, I love your case study point because it does something very similar. It puts you on the pedestal. It makes you the expert. It makes you the ones that everyone's like, in order for me to be like that real estate agent, I have to use that service. And that's the only difference between us and them because everything else we do is the same. We're just a slightly different suburb of everything, but they're making so much more money than me. The only thing that I do not have because I've replicated everything else 
is Charlie's business. <laughs> so maybe if I use that service. But tell me that's not a valuable pitch here. And like I'm not discounting the idea if you don't have any ties to real estate, that might be hard to get your first client. Totally. Right. I, I completely accept that. Like you might literally have to do go to a lot of these places and pitch, I'll work for you for free just to prove this. All I want is a testimonial. But once you have that, once you have a couple of uh, really strong trophy client case study examples here, I know the ego and um, like status of real estate agents, if they perceive someone else is more successful because they have this and you don't, they will buy. Yep. It's great. Just, yeah. just watch it. If a real estate agent gets an AMG and everyone else has got a Mercedes, sure enough, they'll all have AMG soon enough. I've seen enough of it in this space. And like, I'm not trying to uh, fire shots. I get it's a perception game and a status game. Just like in, like, politics is another one, right? They yeah. all dress well and do certain things in a way. And rather than making judgment of it, I just want to use that to my advantage. Would you deliver? Like, I know we haven't spoken on delivery and I don't want to spend too much time on it. Would you deliver with a mix of onshore, offshore team? Do you, would you try to go purely offshore and sort of? support that model like how have you thought about it if if at all yeah so we, we are different on this one here i think deliveries where we're similar is both of us have picked um hey i'm doing one thing and i'm replicating it so if i've got a you know site i'm building for real estate agents i essentially want to be able to copy process yep. noting design will be very different in mind they can't look the same they've got to be very much on brand but the back-end code and capabilities what we learn on one we learn for all Yep. When we update one, we update all. So I'm very much looking to scale in that way and make use of doing the same thing over and over. That was a mistake I made for sure when I had my website design agency. We did all kinds of shit. Did I? <laughs> Man, I've built double-sided marketplaces and fucking everything. If it had the, if it had Direct, the word... Directory sites, e-coms, Magento, I... WordPress, like what? Have you, have you been looking through my client list? <laughs> It was like, oh, then it was like e-commerce. It's like, oh, you want like WooCommerce on WordPress? Or you want Magento? Or you want <laughs> you want anything? No worries. It's all PHP. Like It'll be fine. <laughs> it's never fine. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that we probably... I just want to go back to that delivery piece really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so in my model here, I've elected that I would actually go um, one, uh, potentially one or two client-facing people onshore because I think the relationship component is so key here. So how I'm stacking my delivery customer service heavy, not tech heavy. Like I, I really want to be like on the forefront of making sure that the relationships are really strong with all the agents and we're delivering well. Now on the delivery side of things, I probably would go to probably the Philippines for web designers and designers um, just because of what we would call geo-arbitrage. That's yeah. a very cost-effective way to make sure that we can do that. But again, I'm, I'm I value differently now. Like once upon a time, I would have gone – you know what, we just need the best developers, the best designers, that's the key. Where now my flip is it's like, no, 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 we need the best customer relation people. We need the best customer support. Like we want excellence in service over excellence in who can code the best. So probably yeah. just the key differential there. It was interesting because mine was similar where the, the 1K a month was almost to pay for the customer support person or like the, the relationship manager or whatever you want to call them and then everything else would be supported offshore. Where it's like, cool, you can build the design because you've got essentially the way that I thought about it is I'm building the strategy overarching, which is our playbook. Essentially, it was our templates and the tasks kind of come from me by being the expert. And then it gets handed across into here are the benchmarking reports for the month, which go to the relationship manager or managers as it scales. 
which then turn into the project plans for the team to execute every single month or as they're setting stuff up. It's a very grant. Just to be clear, it's funny. It's a, even within our models here. It's a very grant answer versus a very charming answer. <laughs> no, right? The very ying, very yang. I dig it. <laughs> I think we've done well. Did you have any other points that we haven't covered? Let the audience decide who did well. Dude, I, I think I've got you licked on this, and I do <laughs> get bonus points because I went first. I'm just saying. Hashtag I will give you the bonus points on going first. <laughs> All right, I can wrap this one up, Charlie. Uh, for anyone who's listening to this, if you did enjoy this type of episode, can you please just reply back to one of Charlie's emails? Just hit reply and then let him know your thoughts. And if you did like them, what about another industry? I'm going to put it out there. I enjoyed making this episode. So even if you didn't enjoy listening to it, we're probably going to do another one. We'll do another one. And if you're not on the newsletter, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email and then hit reply and tell Charlie what you think. So I want to say thank you and we'll catch you on the next episode of Business and Investing.